Hey, welcome back to the podcast. This week, Dwayne chats with Vish Mulshan, Senior Director, Product Management. They talk about our next generation platforms on NX and with our OEM partners. So let's join the conversation. This week, we're lucky to have Vish Mulshan from the product team. Welcome aboard. Hey, great. Uh, thanks and great to be here. Yeah, we wanted to have you on to talk about uh, some of the new hardware hitting the NX and our OEM partners. I know it's always the case software is eating the world, but you can't you can't have your software run in thin air. You do need some hardware. So we're uh, glad to have you here. But maybe before we kind of dive into some of the more technical details, why don't you just maybe uh, tell the people at home what you're doing at Nutanix? Uh, yeah, thanks very much, Dwayne. Uh, folks, once again, my name is Vish Mulchand. I uh, am the Senior Director of Product Management, and I have responsibility at Nutanix for uh, the majority of the hardware platforms. This includes the uh, uh, the NX product line, as well as um, uh, our OEM vendors and third-party platforms. I, I do have a peer. Uh, his name is Abhi Kamarkar, and he he manages the DX platforms. Nice. So you're then, you've been pretty busy lately. I've seen some of the... <laughs> the the models coming out some of them are out but maybe just starting um obviously there's intel and amd maybe kind of walk through what's happening in the cpu space for both of them or what customers should be looking at when maybe looking to purchasing new gear yeah absolutely so uh you know the uh, the exciting thing about uh, what we're bringing to market is now the Nutanix cloud platform, right? The Nutanix cloud infrastructure and the management software. Uh, this will now run on a set of validated uh, next generation servers based on uh, two offerings. One, Intel Sapphire Rapids. Uh, this is Intel's latest generation of uh, processes that they've announced. Uh, and the other one is based on uh, on AMD uh, Genoa. The, they, they have the technical name for the generations on those processors. Uh, but, uh, you know, the way to think about this is um, there are several things that that um, are provided with uh, uh, with these next-generation platforms. Uh, first of all, I think most people know that core counts continue to go up. Uh, and in this generation, uh, Intel gets up to 60 cores. AMD goes up to 96 cores, right? And this is cores per socket. If it's a dual socket system, then uh, you do the math, right? You multiply that by two. And so the compute density uh, that you get uh, with these new platforms is, is going to be phenomenal. Uh, and I think it'll bring in a new era of application performance, application density. Now, uh, tied tied to this uh, higher core count, uh, you'll find that there is uh, faster memory with DDR5. Uh, you'll also see um, faster instructions per cycle, right? So... At a given clock frequency between one generation to another, the newer generation can drive more uh, instructions per cycle. Um, you'll also see improvements in the I.O. backplane um, and uh, basically doubling the bandwidth of the uh, PCIe backplane, I.O. backplane. So, so from a CPU perspective, Dwayne, th those are some of the specs. Um, we, can, we can talk more in a second here on... Um, on uh, on some of the system specifications here and why, why those matter. Yeah. I was curious, you're, you know, for a customer, maybe, you know, they're already with one OEM or uh, a CPU model. Uh, 
is it apples to apples when you're kind of looking at the frequencies and core counts or you know what what's to be had there because you just oh well the number is bigger over here so i should use that yeah 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 and i think that's a great great question a very astute question as well right so um I think you have to break it down into a couple of different pieces because there are quite a number of different variables here. Uh, and a lot of it also, of course, varies as to what you're trying to optimize for, right? So I'll start by saying um, comparisons between frequencies uh, or frequency comparisons within the same architecture and across microarchitectures and then across vendors, processor vendors, right? So you've got three different dimensions. So uh, you can make frequency compares within the same microarchitecture, and in general, higher frequency means it goes faster. Now, when you go across microarchitectures, for example, Intel Ice Lake to Intel Sapphire Rapids, then you want to be a little more careful. And the reason is um, you have more instructions per cycle. So just because the frequency may be lower on the Sapphire Rapids may not necessarily mean it's going to be slower. Right. So I think the, there are considerations here to be looked at. Uh, there are cases where a lower frequency makes it slower. But my only point is that you have to look at that sort of then uh, carefully with the rest of the other variables. Now, if you look at Intel versus AMD and looking at frequency compares and core compares with uh, Intel versus AMD, I think you also have to look at um, not only the total number of cores, but the per core performance. Now, in the, earlier, in the earlier generations of the AMD platforms, they had higher core counts, but in some workloads, the per core performance uh, with Rome and Milan uh, was you know, maybe comparable or, or maybe even less than some of the Intel processors. Uh, with this Genoa fourth gen uh, processor, uh, what we understand is that the per core performance is actually faster. And so we'll see um, as we get more of our systems available and uh, benchmarks run, what uh, what what the comparisons are now, right? And in and then even making frequency comparisons across, say, Intel and AMD, uh, you know, again, you'd have to look at more than just the frequency, right? Because they're not sort of apples to apples comparisons. Yeah, it's not just a, a simple line up the spreadsheets and and go to town. I th I think too, it uh, it's interesting just on the workloads too, kind of knowing where things fit, like as far as. Maybe you have a database that needs a higher frequency versus cores, and maybe you're trying to to eke out some single-threaded app that uh, may be needed. But also, too, I think I'd be leery of switching architectures unless you had a really good understanding of, <laughs> you know, if you were using something like uh, cross-cluster live migration, and then, you, you know, you need the, uh, the same CPU family to find out that you, you can't really do it anymore, so... Yeah, there's a lot of yeah. a lot of moving pieces. Yeah, yeah. I you know. I think um, yeah. I think if you look at um, uh, moving, right? Why would you move from one architecture to another? Uh, I think clearly uh, application density is a key one, and so higher core counts are attractive, right? Um, because you can pack more uh, more cores in a in a node. And then, you know, if you're running multiple nodes, you know, you can use less nodes, right? And that, again, results in lower cost, lower overall cost, right? Acquisition costs, uh, it may even result in lower operational costs with racking, power, and cooling. 
Um, so again, you know, there, there, there are benefits there, right? I think the, the other considerations to make sure is that your application of choice, right? The vendor, uh, you know, what is their recommendation? What is their availability? And, and how do they how do they size and um, specify um, where and what you should do, right? Because a lot of it is, again, application dependent. And some applications may actually uh, may perform better on, on AMD or may perform better on Intel, right? So again, uh, it has to be evaluated by the application vendor as well. So now th- this is the part of the show where we get geopolitical and the HR department comes looking for us. I've heard about this thing called climate change. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. But the the CPU procs, um, when I was going through it, I did notice quite a temperature difference, uh, at least from an operating value. So, like, do you think that alone will drive customers to buy these newer models? Well, again, if you depending on what you're trying to optimize, right? If you're trying to optimize power consumption uh, and 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 sustainability, if that's what you're focusing on, then then I think you'll have to look at, okay, what drives your power consumption, right? And if you're running a farm of 2,000 servers, for example, uh, you know, uh, density can make can make a big difference, right? Now, I think the other, the, other, the other vector going the other direction is that as these processes drive better performance, higher number of cores, and in some cases, higher frequencies, uh, the, the drawback is the amount of uh, heat it generates and the amount of power that's needed to power these processors, right? So um, that's becoming a real challenge, right? Uh, especially uh, if you look at uh, power consumption, number one. Then number two, you look at how you cool these things, right? Um, and, uh, you know, uh, liquid cooling, which used to be in the realms of supercomputers and for the very esoteric uh, type deployments, right? Uh, more and more vendors now are, are talking about liquid cooling as sort of the next step here in helping cool some of these next generation processes. If they're running at 500 watt TDP, for example, that's a lot of power uh, to essentially uh, cool and consume, right? It'd be interesting if you could tie in your data center, and I'm sure it happens probably somewhere, just thinking from my hospital days, if you could take that liquid cooling, like if you could get glycol heat it up and then send it through the rest of the, the hospital, you know, like that would, that'd be kind of an interesting model, but that seems also <laughs> a bit convoluted, but you never know. Yeah. I think, I think as you look forward out, right. A few more years, I think, I think there is a, a desire and a push to make liquid cooling more commercially viable. I think we'll have to see, we'll have to watch as, uh, as some of the earlier, as some of the uh, newer solutions come on board. Uh, you know, just what what the implications are. So maybe a good a good topic for a future podcast, maybe where we can drill down into some of the different ways liquid cooling works and and how they can be applicable. Yeah, and that, I did notice too. It seems both Intel and AMD, a lot of the new hardware that's coming both on the Nutanix side with OEM partners. There is a lot of GPU slots that are that are coming forward. I don't know if you have uh, some thoughts on a customer should be looking at as they, if they're going towards workloads that need more GPUs? Yeah, so GPUs are, are the craze today, right? I mean, um, you know, they're, they're, they're used in actually very many different applications. Uh, GPUs are used in uh, virtual desktops, for example, especially those that are need high-end graphic workstations, right? Um, then you have those high-end graphic workstations themselves, right, that, that need GPUs. And then, you know, a lot of the... Uh, 
matrix math that uh, that GPUs do so well is also very applicable in um, in AIML workloads, right? And if you look at AIML, you've got inferencing, you've got training. So there's a variety of um, uh, of workloads where now GPU, as a if you want to use the term co-processor, uh, makes makes sense, right? And so these next generation platforms that we're introducing now, one of the things you'll see is broader GPU support. Um, now, you, on one dimension of the axis, you can look at um, uh, GPU types, right? Uh, some terms like uh, from from NVIDIA, you'll hear terms like uh, an A40 or uh, A100 or an H100. These are different GPU types. Um, uh, so that's one dimension. The other dimension you can look at is the various models by vendors, right? Uh, so Nutanix NX has GPU platforms in this generation. Uh, we'll have some additional uh, models that support um, uh, GPUs. Um, if you look at Dell uh, and HPE DX, they also have a variety of GPUs. And, um, you know, uh, Lenovo as well. So I think it, it just all depends where, you, where you're going to now. If you separate out AIML from VDI, let's just take that first stack, right? On the AIML side, um, there's a lot of desire for dense GPUs. And when you combine these very high-powered GPUs with these higher-powered processors, uh, you know, the power and cooling required becomes very significant, right? And so GPU density then becomes very important. I mean, as an example, uh, in, a, in a typical 2U server, you can pack five T4 GPUs, for example, or five A2 GPUs. Um, you'll only be able to pack two uh, H100 or A100 GPUs because those those GPUs are bigger, they do more work, they're targeted for some different kinds of workloads. And so um, people are looking for GPU density as well to match the node density that they're getting with these, with these platforms. And so again, you'll find that uh, as we release products and as we release them uh, throughout the life of the Sapphire Rapids and Intel A and AMD Genoa product lines, uh, you'll see not only more types of GPUs come into play, you'll also see more models that can support uh, denser GPUs, right? Four H100s, eight with H100s, right? Um, that kind of thing. Well, it sounds like a, a great time to hold some NVIDIA stock. But uh, <laughs> it also kind of just makes me think like some careful planning would need to be done with the, the infrastructure folks on your team to make sure that your, your racks could actually handle the power and cooling requirements before you, you know, your full, your full rack maybe only be able to support a half a rack of gear. Uh, That's yeah. right. That's right. You know, if you provision power per, per, per tile, right, as most people do, right, um, then you're right. You know, if you don't plan it carefully, you may not be able to fully utilize that space, right, just because you can't get enough power to the entire uh, set of uh, servers in the rack. Uh, November last year, there were quite a, there's a few articles talking about AI moving back to on-prem, some security uh, but also just the control costs, because when you get free reign of the cloud, things can kind of spiral out of control. So a lot of the some of these language models are ma making their way home. So I think that seems like with the GPU support and then 
I think from a Nutanix perspective, I guess our, you know, obviously we support the GPUs, but having this consistent operating model on-prem and even in the cloud. Um, so I'm kind of excited to see in the next year or two where that all pans out. Yeah, I think that's that's really key. Uh, the Nutanix operating model, uh, the common infrastructure model, I think is very, very important. I, I think why some folks are looking at on-premises now, I think there are two, two, uh, two drivers for that, right? One is um, control of the data, right? Your, your AI ML is only as good as the quality and quantity of your data, right? And so questions on where is the data residing, who owns that data, how do you regulate that data become really, really key. So depending on the industry you're in, uh, you know, you might need more than what uh, what is publicly available for controls in um, in, in off-premises type solutions, right? Public cloud solutions. Uh, the other question that becomes also very critical for these environments is often they are very when when they build their data pipelines, they they tend to form very specific solutions, right? And then how how are you able to share? How are you able to virtualize some of these resources, right? so that you don't have to go set up dedicated sort of pods for different forms of workloads and and uh, and different kinds of data pipelines, right? So I think that's the other factor here to think about is increased sharing uh, of a very expensive resource, right? As in like, do you see, like obviously the common architecture helps from a daily operations, but do you also see the kind of job sharing like, VDI in the morning, AI at night. Yeah, do you see that as viable? Because I always thought that, but I don't know if I've ever seen it in practice too much. Yeah, I don't know, Dwayne. I, I may, that's an interesting idea. I'm not sure, but uh, it's almost like you know running transactions during the day and batch at night. Um, but yeah, I, you know, maybe uh, I, it'd be interesting to see if folks are doing that. Kind I of guess thing. the tooling is just a lot better too now, though. Like if we think of automation tools, we have cross-play to automate a lot of the spinning up of workloads at certain times and comms. So maybe it's closer than we think. We just, you know, just need a, a leading customer to to show us the path, I guess. It probably is happening, but um, so we have, we have these new CPUs, we have GPUs. And so that kind of leads to, we're probably generating a lot of data in its aftermath maybe kind of hit on some of the more storage heavy models that will be coming out soon. Yeah. So storage is a big, big part of this uh, next generation uh, set of products. Um, so I'll break it down into sort of three, three areas, right? So first of all, um, old flash storage has been with us now for gosh, seven, eight years. Um, we are seeing quite a number of um, uh, people deploying all flash storage uh, so that 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 is that trend from hybrid to all flash is well underway, right? Now we've also seen a transition in the all flash space from uh, SSDs, uh, SATA SaaS SSDs, to NVMe SSDs, and uh, and so this generation uh, you'll see, gosh, fifteen models, fifteen all NVMe models. If you look across our entire platform portfolio, right across. NX, Dell, Lenovo, HPE. Um, and you'll see uh, some models go up to as high as 24 NVMe drives. 
some they'll support you know 20 some they'll support 16 and if you look across the product line you'll you'll have different configurations right 6 12 as well so i think nvme storage which used to be a performance play in the past today is also a price play and an assurance of supply play if you look out into the future uh, i think there's an expectation that all of the drive vendors will eventually consolidate uh, their offering to an nvme and so the innovation engine, the price drops, the supply assurances, these are all going to trend towards NVMe. Now, looking at our current generation, we already see uh, a massive shift uh, to NVMe underway. Um, and we've had very good growth here in the last few quarters. We anticipate when you get to uh, this generation of platforms, um, the NVMe adoption is only going to accelerate further uh, as we bring more of these models out and, and as prices come down. So that's one. Number two, um, we have also a storage dense model uh, with the HPE DX4120. Uh, this is a, um, a 24 large form factor uh, model. It also supports um, four to six NVMe drives, right? And so when you factor in, say, a 20 terabyte HDD uh, for, for, for capacity, wow. Uh, that that becomes a lot of capacity, right? 525 terabytes uh, per two U two socket node, right? So that that's uh, that's one that's coming up uh, here in this generation of platforms. And then if you look at next generation storage media, both on the hard drive side and on the SSD side, uh, capacities are going up. Um, so you know if if, uh, if you look at 24 terabytes. Uh, as the next drive, you multiply it by 24 drive slots. You can do the math there on the capacity. It goes up further. Uh, 30 terabyte SSDs are on the horizon now, right? Um, and if you start to put in um, 30 terabyte SSDs by 20 or 24 drive slots, now you're talking half a petabyte of flash, right? Oh. Uh, which, again, to U is just a lot of lot of storage capacity. And I think, again, the, the drivers for this capacity is going to be all this data that you talked about, Dwayne. Now on those those giant uh, SSDs and NVMe drives, what are their like the write cycles that they can handle? Is that something that are they fairly the same across the board, or is there like a couple of hidden ones that I should probably <laughs> steer clear of that only have like whatever the heck it is three writes per day or whatever the? Well, you know, drive writes per day. Uh, if your capacity is constant. Um, then, you know, drive rights per day matter. Um, now, a lot of fear in the early days of all flash was around wear leveling and, um, you know, how how you handle wear, right? And, you know, there's a lot of different grades of of, uh, of SSDs, right? There's consumer grades, there's enterprise grade, and even with enterprise, there's data center, there's, there's a bunch of different grades here. Um, so now, where where's a, for enterprise class drives have, have been managed pretty well and i think i think that those drives have live have lived within their lifetime now as the capacities go up to 30 terabytes then you know uh even half a drive right per day for example versus one one drive right per day with such a large capacity you can handle lower drive rights per day um so this 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 resiliency and and wear issue uh, actually, I I don't think it's something to worry about in the enterprise class drives. I guess it, if you have a support contract, you probably don't care anyway because it's the support yeah. contract's going to be sending you the new ones to to put yeah, in. Exactly. Yeah, and I, and I think we when we offer these drives, I think we look at this 
in uh, in detailed consideration, right? And uh, we uh, we look at drive right patterns, we look at data right patterns, and we uh, you know we we try and make the best sort of uh, estimate on what people are are doing and and how to how to qualify the right drives. Now, clearly, there's going to be outliers. I'm sure there are people that have burned through SSDs. I'm not suggesting it's going to guarantee anything. But again, if you look at the at the sort of bell curve majority distribution, uh, you know we we should be we should be okay with these. Now, at the we've kind of been focused on the the core data center. How about the edge? Is there are there newer models that customers should be looking at? Um, and I'm kind of thinking maybe that there's, if there's some offerings around single CPUs. Yeah. So if you look at um, the portfolio offering, um, so let's start with NX. Uh, that's the Nutanix branded um, offering that we have. Uh, there is a 1175 model, which is a which uh, is a one U one socket model. And uh, in this generation, that that model will actually support GPUs, right? And so, if you're going to do some inferencing at the edge, for example, uh, that be uh, that be a potential model that uh, you could look at. Um, we also have other models that uh, are more focused on short depth requirements. There's a 1120s from NX. There's a 1021 from Lenovo as well, um, and those are also single socket short depth systems, right? Now, I think it also depends what you're trying to do. If uh, if you're a remote uh, site of a large retailer and your applications are running two to three VMs, that's very different from if you want to go do, um, say, inferencing at the edge. In, in some cases, you're going to need GPUs and more compute, more memory, more data, right? So there, again, you're going to need beefier systems. And then you can talk about the tactical edge, right? Uh, you know, military applications, uh, putting gear on on armored vehicles, uh, putting gear on ships. Um, so you've got that element as well, where um, where you know you can consider those as, broadly speaking, remote sites, but very specialized remote sites. I guess that's a slam dunk for for uh, all flash systems. You don't really want the spinning drives getting knocked around too badly. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, the the solid state does make a difference in those environments, um, and uh, and all flash is a big, big uh, reliability factor in those environments. Now they have other things as well, right? That ruggedize those environments. So uh, again, it all depends um, what you're trying to do and the cost benefit trade off, right? Because uh, those things can cost more uh, depending what you're trying to ruggedize. The the only other question that I that I had, um, but feel free to add more, but uh, Around licensing, is there what should customers be looking at as these high core count systems hit the market? And, and most vendors, including Nutanix, are per core count, but you know databases. What should customers be looking at to uh, as they kind of move into these systems? Yeah, from a database perspective, we we start there. Uh, clearly, um, people favor the higher frequencies because they want to be able to get as much done with as few cores as they can because the licensing is by core, right, as you said. So I think database applications are going to drive um, higher frequency uh, SKUs. Now, core counts and databases will depend on what they're trying to do, right? Uh, we actually see as low as eight cores uh, for many database environments. Uh, again, if your application, database application can uh, uh, 
can live within the eight core constraints, great. Um, there are high frequency options there. Uh, but we also see a lot at 24, 28 cores that that uh, that database uh, applications typically deploy. Now, uh, if you get up to 40, uh, 60, 90, 96, uh, I, I think you know then uh, those uh, for databases can get to be very cost prohibitive. Uh, it'll depend again what what benefits you get from going with a high core counts and if those more than compensate for the database licensing cost, right? So I suspect you'll see number one high frequency, number two core counts in the 24 to 40 range, maybe if I can use that range, and then I think you'll also see all NVMe storage uh, factoring in those database environments because uh, people want the fastest I/O performance as well with databases, right? Because databases bring all of the attributes together, you need high performance to transact the data. You need resiliency so that you can get access to the data all the time. And you need data protection because, gosh, that data is so valuable, right? You can't lose it. Uh, you've got to be able to protect it in multiple ways. So databases are very exacting type of workloads, and they bring uh, all of the attributes together. Uh, the, the only other workload that I think is also very, uh, very exacting now are AIML workloads because of the stress they put on the system. But uh, but yeah, so that that that's the way I think frequencies and cores will land for databases. Yeah, it's interesting. The I know I was looking at the AMD spec sheets and the the F series seem pretty appealing with their high frequencies. Um, I th- I think that's what yeah. I had to cover. Vish, is there any other hidden nuggets that uh, you want to share? Uh, you know, actually, I think again, like like always, um, you know the the space that we're in, the applications that run on the x86 industry standard server architecture, uh, they're sort of always on this drumbeat supporting the latest and greatest processes from Intel, AMD, and whoever else makes them, right? Now, our our Nutanix cloud platform uh, co-resides on these nodes, right? The, the applications uh, share uh, the virtual machines with, with, our, with our infrastructure stack. And so as a result, you know, we in Nutanix have to be in tune with these application demands, right? That's what drives our refresh cycles. That's what drives our adoption. And I think, you know, um, we will continue to stay time to market with these next generation processes from Intel and AMD. We'll continue to offer choice to our customers if they want to buy from a hardware vendor of their choice. And we'll continue to be focused on understanding the workload, ensuring good workload affinity, and innovating with some very key hardware software pieces in in the offering. Yeah, well, thank you so much for your time, Vish. uh, I know I personally look forward to getting some of this gear in the technical marketing lab. So if if you find some extra nodes lying around, send them my way. But... Thanks again, and uh, I look forward to seeing where this all kind of breaks out over the next year. Yeah, thank you, Dwayne. It's a fascinating conversation. Great, great speaking with you this morning. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nutanix Community Podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to next.nutanix.com. So with that, from your friends here at Nutanix, have a great week.